Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I want to return to John's vision of our Lord from the book of Revelation that I preached about last Sunday to remind you of what our Lord appeared to John as. Our Lord appeared to him with head and hair white like wool, eyes aflame with fire, feet like burnished bronze, a voice like waterfalls, like many waters. In his right hand there were seven stars, each star representing an angel of the seven churches. Out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face shone like the sun. This morning I would like for us to contemplate the word that has the thundering waters behind it that our Lord gave to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Our Lord spoke these words to the angel of the Lord, to the angel of the church in Pergamos. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Every message to one of the angels focuses on a different aspect of this vision that John has. This word is the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. This message to the faithful in Pergamos has a bittersweet message, of course, because in their faithfulness, because they dwell in a very peculiar place. It's the only place in Scripture that we have Satan's throne, where Satan dwells. We have the faithfulness of Antipas the named martyr in the book of Revelation. There's many martyrs in the book of Revelation, but this is the one who's named Antipas. He was killed among you because of his faithfulness. But our Lord continues, because he has a word of encouragement or of accolades to the church, and then this is where the two-edged sword appears. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You may be wondering, who is Balaam and what kind of teaching did Balaam have in the Nicolaitans? Does anybody remember Balaam? What do you remember about Balaam? 
A donkey, right? So, Balak. Balaam taught Balak. Balak is worried about the children of Israel. They are winning battles as they conquer the promised land. Balak is scared. So he wants to get, I'll say it for the kids, a wizard, basically, right? He wants to get some kind of diviner, sorcerer, a pagan priest to come and put a curse on Israel. There's an odd thing about Balaam. He seems to know who God is, who Yahweh is. When Balak comes and says, I'll pay you, please come and curse Israel. Balaam says, all right, Balak, I will do whatever God tells me. So they go up a mountain, because that's where you go do things like this, right? You don't curse people. You go up on a mountain. Balaam goes up on the mountain. He lights seven altars on the top of the mountain. Where have you heard seven before? Already? The stars. There's echoes all sorts here of seven, right? Seven angels. He takes seven altars. He burns them. And he gets up. Balaam's on the side saying, here we go, my money well spent. Balaam blesses Israel. Balak is confused, angry. Okay, Balaam, that's not what I wanted you for. So let's go up on another mountain. They go up on another mountain. Seven altars, sacrifices. Balak's like, okay, now you're going to curse Israel. Balaam gets up. He blesses Israel. Balaam's like, I told you that I was going to do what God said. Balak is undeterred. The third mountain, he gets up on the mountain, seven altars. He blesses Israel. Balak is just beside himself. Why can't you just, you're a pagan, you're a, you know, a wizard or whatever you want to call it. Like, this is what you do. Balaam then says a fourth prophecy against the rest of the remaining pagans in Israel. And he says, basically, you all are going to fall. If Israel had heard about this story, like, wow, this guy, is he like one of us? What's going on? This guy is great. The next chapter in Numbers, I encourage you to go back and read. It starts in Numbers 22. It's a fun story. Until Numbers 25. There is, because of this fear, the king of Moab, Balak, Balaam, he has still wants to fulfill what Balak had said. Let's go back before he goes up on the altars, uh, up on the mountains to burn. God wanted to speak through Balaam. Balaam wanted for God to speak through him. As he was going on this journey, this is weird, right? Balaam wants to do what God says, but he still will go and do what Balak has asked of him. What has God put in his way as he's going on up to the mountains? An angel. An angel Lord. What does the angel have? Do you remember? No, not a staff. Something a little sharper than that. A sword. Can Balaam see the angel? No. Who sees the angel? 
Not Balak, no. The donkey can see the angel. This is funny in many ways, right? The donkey, the dumb, mute beast, can see the angel. Balaam's on his way. He's going to get paid even though he's going to say what God wants him to say. But the donkey keeps averting. Balaam's getting mad. He's hitting the donkey second time. You're going to notice another pattern here, right? Three times the donkey is going to try. The last time, it's a very small path and Balaam's leg is like pinned up against a wall and he is like wants to beat this donkey. What in the world is wrong with you, you dumb donkey? <laughs> right? The donkey speaks. <laughs> There's an angel in the way. He's got a flaming sword. Echoes. What does this echo? Eden? Right? Adam and Eve kicked out, right? God's trying to say to Balaam, you don't need to go up on those mountains. Just stay home. Three times he's given. An angel with a flaming sword. He can't see it. But nature, right? A donkey can see an angel. Donkey doesn't want to get his head cut off. <laughs> the donkey doesn't want to die. Balaam just keeps going. He goes and he offers these, alt, you know, these sacrifices. He blesses. So you can see in Balaam this oddity. He wants to obey. But at the same time, he's going to go with the flow. I would think if my donkey told me, talked to me, and said, there's an angel with a flaming sword, we should probably not go this route. I think I need to turn around and go back home and just sit this one out. I'm sure there's another Balaam 2.0 or Varlam or somebody who could do this. No. Balaam goes and does it. So it's no surprise after the failure of the curses that Balaam, as scripture tells us, teaches Balak, all right, I have another way that we can do this. I am a prophet, so I'm going to say what God says, but let's send some women and other folks into the camp of Israel. Let's start a party. We're going to uh, not burn sacrifices Yahweh. We're going to have a good old pagan time. And what is always attached to pagan idolatry and a good old time? Joseph, I don't think you're going to know this one. <laughs> Sex. Balaam sins amongst Israel for idolatry, sexual immorality. He perverts Israel internally. Balaam, the double-minded man, the one who will speak blessings from God, and yet on the side wants to subvert and come inside the camp and have them, as scripture tells us, play the harlot. They offer sacrifice to false gods. They celebrate sacrificial feasts, and then they fornicate. Well, what is, throughout Scripture, there's a pattern. I hope that you see some of these patterns, right? What does this remind you of? Moses goes up the mountain, right? What does he find when he comes back down? 
pagan sacrifice and a party, right? He's so beside himself, he destroys, breaks the Ten Commandments. He then says, who's with me, right? And then there is a slaughter. There's a killing. This is repeated throughout the Old Testament. So a plague breaks out in the camp of Israel. They've been successful. They've been conquering the promised land. But a plague breaks out. And one zealous for the Lord, Phineas, he stops the plague with a spear by impaling a fornicating man and woman. So what is the stumbling block that Balaam produces? He entreats, he subverts the people of God to sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. There's something that our Lord, the one with the sword coming out of his mouth, says that he hates. He says to the church of Pergamos, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. This mouth has a two-edged sword coming out of it. It is the word of God that is a sharp sword that cuts to heart and divides between joints and marrow, as we read in Hebrews. It's also a sword of war, a sword of judgment, that pronounces sentences against the wicked and slays them with this word. It's a sacrificial sword. That's why Hebrews talks about joints and marrow. That's how you prepared sacrifices in the Old Testament. This isn't just slaughter. This is preparation. This is making a sacrifice. It's not merely the thoughts and intents of the heart, but is something of our whole self being offered. We go back, where else do we see a sword? We saw the sword with Balaam, right? We see the sword, the flaming sword that guards paradise. This flaming sword is also coming out of the mouth of our Lord. For us to return to the tree of life, to be returned back to that place of fellowship with Christ and with God, we have to pass through the sacrificial fire and sword. Jesus is the new Phineas. Jesus is the one who wants to stop the outbreak of the plague amongst the the children of the church in Pergamos as much as he did amongst the children of Israel. Our Lord, not with a spear as Phineas, but with a sword, has come to kill and make alive again, as Scripture tells us. As the book of Revelation tells us, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does the Spirit have to say to us? I'm sure as you've heard me relay to you the story of Balaam and what was going on in the church there in Pergamos, that you can make some parallels. We are entering into the promised land. 
We have had victories. There is faithfulness. There is a martyric struggle. But around us and from within, there are Balaam's and there's Balak's. Those who desire to trip up the saints by throwing stumbling blocks in our way. We live, where does Pergamos live? Where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwells. We are in the same position. And this stumbling block of idolatry and sexual immorality is spreading. It's rife with amongst us. Infidelity to God, worship of creation over the creator. This is the connection between idolatry and sexual immorality. It might not seem obvious, but underneath it, it is the worship of creation over the creator. It exposes a double-mindedness within us, where we value creation over and above the creator. Like Balaam, to bless God, to bless Israel, to bless the church, and at the same mind, be given over to our lusts. And this becomes for us in this day and age, just like it was in Pergamos, just like it was as Israel was entering into the promised land, a test of loyalty. Whom do you truly worship? Where does your heart lie? Are you easily tripped up by what Balaam presents at the urging of Balak? We have to accept, like the Christians of Pergamos, as they saw their brother Antipas, who had been killed before them, they knew that they were going to be weird, eccentric, out of joint, not in place in Pergamos. We're surrounded, just like Pergamos, with a civic religion and cults and worship which support it. Listen to our music. Watch our entertainment. Think about what the main traffic on the internet is. It's not Facebook. Something which gives us life, which produces life is perverted and twisted away from its original end, its goal, and is given only over to the self, the creation. It is not given over to others, to life, to connection. Now this is not, and this is something that is said, this is not a personal obsession. This is not some cult of purity, a petty, obsessive church some kind of Victorian values or whatever kind of negativity that you can throw at the church. This is just the clear teaching of scripture. Sex is blessed for the marital bed. No sexual acts outside the blessed union of a man and woman blessed by God. This is something that we have to make clear to our children. It must be the fruit, not of distant dictates, but of trying to make sense of this powerful thing. We all know its power and that it has a place within marriage, the importance of family, the lordship of Christ and our obedience and love to him. 
Not just bland moralism, not just looking for who's wrong or who's right, but this is about our obedience to Christ. It is one of the tests today of the loyalty to the church. What are the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans? Who are the Nicolaitans? They were Christians who taught sexual morality was the path to holiness. The teachings of Balaam. He blesses Israel. He's a prophet. But he is devious and subverts Israel from within. Is it any wonder that sex has become one of the banner issues of the difference between the world and the kingdom of Christ? This has never been any other way. It's not that we live in a particularly different time than the time of Pergamos or the time of the children of Israel. I encourage you, read Romans 1. Reread it and read it over and over again. Nature is given to us as a witness. The donkey knew. The donkey could see. Minds and hearts are darkened. That's what Romans 1 talks about. When we give ourselves over to lust, it darkens our heart, our mind. It kills our relationship with God. The donkey can see, but Balaam could not see. So let me bring this home with Mary of Egypt who is the great icon of one who had given themselves over to the throne and dominion of Satan, her entire life dedicated to sexual immorality, to tripping up others, as the story tells us, besides herself. And what happens when she tries to enter into the temple? She can't get in. It's like Balaam with those angel with the flaming sword it's that God has given boundaries and limits and he's given them to us for us to awake to repent serious repentance for whatever sexual immorality whatever things and idolatry we have raised up in our life this has to be like St. Mary of Egypt an active serious struggle with it Right? Phineas takes a spear to it. Christ takes a sword to it. This for Mary means the songs that she remembers, the wine that she drank, the actions she partook in. They don't just go away overnight, but they presented for her a constant temptation, something that the story about her tells, as she says, that she would throw her body on the ground, praying to the mother of God in tears. Now, to look at the book of Revelation, this is, of course, the inverse of what the book of Revelation has for us. We have the example intercessions of the holy, pure Theotokos, or we have the whore of Babylon. Today, in the gospel, we are given an image that echoes exactly the life of Mary of Egypt. Our Lord, with this woman with tears at his feet, says to those around him, Do you not see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman 
has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Our Lord knows our struggle. He knows our challenges. He knows the stumbling blocks that are before us. But what does he say, the one with a two-edged sword that wants to fight, to kill, to present us as a sacrifice? Our Lord says to the angel of the church of Pergamos, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. This is the promise of our Lord to those who repent that he will give them the communion, that he will give them the hidden manna, that he will give them access into the depths of God, that white stone, gems, either gems on the breastplate of the high priest, or in Rome, what was the judgment? A black stone for no and a white stone for yes, that we have access, a token of the judgment of Christ that is white, that is, yes, enter in. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down there at the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her has been granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb in the name of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.